Hey guys, good to see you. My name is Pete. I'm a pastor in Nashville, Tennessee. Any country music fans? Anybody? Couple. That's good. That's good. Uh, it's always good to be here with you guys. I love being here. Uh, not only here in Plymouth, but uh, Ann Arbor, Selene, Brighton Howe, Internet Campus, all your uh, different campuses. I was watching that video. I was like, oh my gosh. So exciting. You guys are adding a new location. Isn't that incredible? Uh, yeah, I, I think that's awesome. Uh, just more people you guys are going to be able to reach uh, with the hope of Christ. And so I was watching that video and I was thinking two things. One, like how awesome is that, that you guys are doing that? And the second thing I was thinking is like, Brad, he never ages that guy. That, it's amazing. I'm like, I don't know if there's a pill for that, but I want it if there is. And, uh, but it's just amazing. But I do. I love your pastor. He's been a great mentor to me, a great friend to me. And uh, it's just kind of fun to watch what God's uh, doing in and through you guys. This is my third summer in a row to be with you guys, which is awesome. It means like we're family now. Yeah. So just consider me uh, like your redneck cousin from Tennessee, Okay. <laughs> That, that's, what, that's what I'll be. But no, this, is, this trip's been a little different because normally I just drive up from Nashville straight to Detroit, right? But uh, I had some friends who, they used to be our neighbors in Nashville, and they moved uh, to Wisconsin. And so they were uh, having their 15-year wedding anniversary this week, and they were like, Pete, could you come up and do our vow renewal? I was like, yeah, totally, because I'm going to be in Detroit this weekend, and Wisconsin, I mean, you know, every, it's north, right? And so I'm sure they're close. True story. So I go yesterday to leave Wisconsin. I'm like, oh, this shouldn't be hard. It's just right there. I forgot there's a big lake there in between. So it was like eight hours to get from where we were in Wisconsin to get here. But the cool thing was when you come to Detroit from Wisconsin, I can get all the way to Detroit and never one time have to step foot in the state of Ohio. Uh, so y- y'all love those Ohio jokes. It's so funny. They, they don't work anywhere else, but they really kill here. It's just, it's amazing how that works. So anyway, I really is. I mean, it's an honor to be back here with you guys. And uh, I'm kind of excited about the next few minutes we have together. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn in Galatians 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, it's all right. Most of the scripture we're going to go over today will be on the screens. And I really just want to look at one, one passage today. Um, and before we get to it, though, let me, let me kind of set it up for you, all right? Um, I love summer. Like, I'm a big fan of summer, especially like Michigan summer, uh, because this is, things are really cool here. But even in Tennessee, summer's great. It's, it's hot, but uh, it still beats the winter. Because in the summer, like, the sun is out, right? And the flowers are blooming, and boats are in the water, and white people are finally starting to get a little bit of color. And, like, you know, so it's a good thing, right? And, um, you know, summer's, you know, for us, uh, like I've gotten into this whole, uh, this is going to sound, I'm going to play into a lot of kind of Southern stereotypes for some of you, but um, I, I'm into farming. That, that, this is kind of a new thing for me, okay? Uh, I grew up as a city boy in Nashville. 
I don't know if it's getting older or what, but I'm like really into farming these days. So we got this little farm outside of Nashville. And uh, it's been really fun. Like when you buy a farm, apparently people find out about it and then they start like just giving you uh, free animals. And so we collect, we collect farm animals now. People just give them to us. Well, I'm, I'm serious. We have horses. We have a donkey. We have sheep. We have goats. We have chickens. Like it's crazy. I don't know what to do with these animals, right? And so they just all hang out together. And I started uh, planting crops, all right? So like I have corn. Uh, we have cucumbers, we have squash, we have zucchini, uh, we have green beans, we, you name it, and we're growing it right now. And I, I don't know how to grow anything. I'm just out there reading these books trying to figure out, like, how do you do all this, right? But I've really gotten into it. And this whole idea of, like, planting something and watching it come up, and it just mesmerizes me. Now, remember that, okay, because that's going to kind of play back into w- the passage that we're going to talk about today. Now, let me set this up for you. Uh, I understand in a church like Northridge, very similar church I pastor, we have people that are kind of in all kinds of different places spiritually. And some of you are maybe still trying to figure out whether or not you believe in this Jesus. Some of you are maybe new followers of Christ. Some of you have been followers of Christ for a long time. You have a lot of knowledge of God's word. But just kind of starting from the beginning, if you don't know a whole lot about the Bible, you, you probably are at least aware that it's kind of divided into two sections. You have the Old Testament and you have the New Testament, right? Now, one of the important things to remember about the Bible is that while it's written for us, it wasn't necessarily written to us. In fact, the Bible is written to groups of people over several thousand years. And so even in the New Testament, you have certain letters that are written to certain particular communities and things that they were going through in certain churches and what they're wrestling with. And so when you look at the Old Testament, for the most part, the Old Testament is written to God's people who were living in what they called a pastoral society, which meant that they were shepherds. They were herdsmen. That's what they did. That's what they spent their time doing. Now, when you understand that the Old Testament is written to a pastoral society, it helps you kind of make sense of some of the imagery that you see throughout the Old Testament. Let me give you an example. This will be one that you're fairly familiar with. Psalms chapter 23, it says this, the Lord is my shepherd. All right, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Now, that passage carries a lot of meaning to a lot of us. But if you think about the fact that that's written to a group of people who actually are shepherds, then you can understand that for them, that imagery made so much sense to picture God as a shepherd that's watching over his sheep. Now, by the time we get to the New Testament, though, God's people are no longer living in a pastoral society. Now they're living in what they called an agrarian society. So they're not shepherds. Now we understand they're farmers. It's very interesting. So if you look at a lot of the examples that Jesus used in Scripture, if you look at a lot of the examples of when, like, um, Peter was writing a letter, or when Paul, the passage we're looking at today is written by Paul. When you look at what they're writing and examples that they use, a whole lot of it is geared towards an agrarian society, towards people who planted things. They, they, were, they were farmers, right? So I want you to keep that in mind as we look at this passage that we're going to look at today in Galatians chapter 6. It starts in verse 7. What I want to do is just read this to you, the three verses. And then I want to go back, and I just want to walk through these three verses 
And I want to get some application for all of us and, and for our lives. And in the center of this application, I'm going to ask you two questions. And if you're kind of a note taker type person, I really want to encourage you to write these two questions down and then maybe spend some time this week kind of thinking about these two questions, all right? But let's start in Galatians 6. I'll just read through it, verse 7. It says this, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh is going to reap destruction. Whoever sows from the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at a proper time, you will reap a harvest if we do not give up. All right, now, let's start at the beginning. Most, most of this passage is really pretty self-explanatory. The very first thing we see is it says, do not be deceived. Now, whenever the Bible says, do not be deceived, that's like, that's like, a, it's like a, a key for you to kind of lean in a little bit, all right? To listen up a little bit. It's saying, hey, do not be deceived. In other words... I'm about to tell you about an area of your life where you often think that you're right when actually you're probably wrong. Now, there's a lot of different forms of deception that we face in our life, but in my opinion, self-deception is the most dangerous form of deception because if you can deceive yourself, you can deceive anybody, right? So the Bible says, hey, don't be deceived. In other words, I'm about to tell you about an area of your life where you think that you're right when actually you're wrong. Do not be deceived. God, he cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Now, you guys are in this series called Unforgettable, and it's all about these unforgettable truths. And Brad said, Pete, can you just like, is there like an unforgettable truth like in your life, something you're kind of like wrestling with right now? And I was like, yes, here it is. Here's my unforgettable truth, right? My choices today will always impact my outcomes tomorrow, all right? My choices today will always impact my outcomes tomorrow. In other words, what? You're going to reap what you sow, it's like this universal law of consequences. And so even if you're here today and you're like, I, I don't know if I even believe in God, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I really trust the Bible yet. That's okay. Listen, listen, understand, like you don't have to believe in God to see this natural law, this universal law of consequences play out every single day in your life and in the people around you, right? You can't deny it. People reap what they sow. It's a natural law of consequences, right? It, let, let's say we go out to my little farm together. All right, and I start showing you like around some of like, uh, let's say I take you down and show you where I planted all this corn. All right, and we're kind of walking through the corn rows together. And I'm like, hey, you, you got any guess what's going to come out of these corn plants? Hopefully, even though I'm not sure Detroit's the most agrarian society anymore, right? Probably you're going to say, yeah, 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 corn, right? If we go over to the watermelon plants, none of us are going to be sitting there wondering, wow, I cannot wait to see what comes out of these this year. It'll be so interesting to see if we get green beans out of the watermelon plants. That would be like awesome. No one's saying that. Why? Right? You know, you're going to reap what you sow. It's the way that it works. If you sow a tomato seed, you get back tomatoes. If you plant a watermelon, you're going to get back a watermelon. No, no one's confused by that, right? We understand that. Here's what is so odd to me about the human condition, though. We think that in certain situations, the law of consequences is not going to apply to me. Right? We begin to convince ourselves. I can't tell you how many times I've done this in my life. 
I've, I've seen a lot of consequences play out in other people and friends and family members. And then I've started to do the exact same thing and thought to myself, I know how this ended for them, but I'm pretty sure somehow it's going to be suspended and I'm going to get away with this. And it never works that way. Right? Some of you have convinced yourself that you can spend more money than you have and you're not going to go into uncontrollable debt. Some of you have convinced yourself that you can keep lying. You're not going to get caught. You can let your temper fly whenever you want to let your temper fly and it's not going to damage your relationships. Some of you think you can neglect the Bible and prayer and worship and still have intimacy with God. But this is a real simple message. You reap what you sow. And I think every once in a while in a very loving, graceful way, we need to look one another in the eye and remind each other of a very deep theological truth And it's sin is stupid. It's stupid. All right, verse eight, it says this. Whoever sows to please their flesh from their flesh is gonna reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit is gonna reap eternal life. So there's this idea, he says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man's gonna reap what he sows. And then he starts to talk about this idea that you have kind of a choice of whether you're gonna sow to please the spirit or so to please the flesh. Now, here's where some people get kind of confused and are like, uh, let's skip on to the next verse. I'm not real sure what he's saying there. But let me pause for just a second because this is really important. He, he's getting at this idea that um, when you become a Christian, right, I'm not assuming that all of you here have made that step of faith to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. But when you do, right, the Bible says the old is gone and the new has come. There's this idea that now what happens is Christ is in you. The Bible says specifically, it's Christ, the hope of glory. All right, so you have Christ in you. Now what, what happens is God gives you a righteousness that you didn't earn on your own. All right? Christ in you, the hope of glory. You have Christ in you. At the same time though, I don't know if you've noticed this as a Christian, even though you have Christ in you, you're still in your flesh. Right? You're still in your body, this side of heaven, Right? You're still in your human body. Christ in you, you have his righteousness, but you're also living in the flesh. What Paul is saying is that we have a choice for which one that we identify with. And so it's almost like, you remember those cartoons where you had the good angel, bad angel? It's kind of like that. Like you're going through life and, and, and you get in these places where you're like, oh, oh gosh, I don't know. Should I identify with, with who I am in Christ, like God's spirit living inside of me? Or do I identify with my old nature, with my flesh? And you, and you kind of feel this struggle. You all felt this. You feel this on a daily basis most of the time. Um, I'll give you a, another way this kind of, uh, to, to kind of look at it. About a year ago, uh, the, the church that I pastor in Nashville, we moved downtown. And so now we are right smack in the middle of downtown Nashville. And uh, it, we only moved, it was only about a 10 minute move, but it changed the way that I would go to work every day. And so for years and years and years, when I was going to work every day, I, I would take one turn out of our subdivision, one turn on this other road, and I would come to what we call Highway 100. And every single day at this red light, 
I would turn right at Highway 100, all right? I, I just did it naturally. I didn't even have to ever even think about it. In fact, most of the time, I could be on the phone. I could be yelling at my kids in the back seat, you know, and, and make that turn and never even think about it. But now the church moved. And one Sunday, it just moves. And they expect me to pull up to the same intersection that I've been pulling up to for years, every single day, sometimes multiple times a day. And now, all of a sudden, out of the blue, instead of turning right, they want me to turn left, it didn't go well. <laughs> Caused a tremendous amount of stress in my life. And so, like, for the first six weeks, first six weeks, I would pull up to this intersection. About 50% of the time, you know what I would do? I would turn right. And I'd start driving down that road. I'd get about 200 yards down that road. I'd be like, oh, wait, wait. Oh, you idiot. You did it again. This isn't where you want to go. This doesn't get you to where you want to go. This doesn't get you to, to where you need to be, right? And so what I would do is I would just do a big U-turn right there in the road. It's a big road. Don't worry about it, all right? I'd do a big U-turn. That's legal in Nashville. And, and, and just drive back the other way, right? Now, three months into it, I'm happy to tell you that uh, probably 90% of the time when I would get to that intersection, I would turn left the way that I need to turn to get to the church, right? Big improvements happening. But you know what? There was still anxiety in my life, all right? Because every time I would start to approach the intersection, I would be like, um, uh, like, right feels normal, but that's not the way I'm supposed to go. I know this. And so I need to get in the left-hand lane, get in the left-hand lane, get in the left-hand lane. I get in the left-hand lane. I would turn. I'd be like, yes, you nailed it. That was awesome, right? And so uh, now we're a year into it. I'm happy to report to you 99.9% of the time when I get to that intersection, I turn left. Thank you. I'm improving. Thank you. Now, here's the other good news. I, no anxiety anymore, right? When I'm, when I'm approaching that intersection, I don't even think about it. When I get up there, I just, I just kind of turn. It's very natural to me now. Now, essentially, hang with me, that's what Paul's talking about right here. Every day... You're coming up to these intersections, right? And you feel sometimes, even though you have Christ in you, you feel this pull, right? You feel this pull back towards greed. You feel this pull back towards your old addictions. You feel this, this pull, you know, back towards old ways. You feel this pull back towards anger. You, you feel this pull, Right? And, and there's something inside of you that says, oh, m- maybe I should go that way. Maybe, maybe yeah, that's the way. And you know what? Honestly, sometimes you do. Sometimes you identify with that old nature and you go down that road. But usually you don't get too far down it, do you? And you realize, oh my gosh, this isn't the way I want to go. This is not helping me become the man or the woman that God created me to become. And so then you do a U-turn. Right? Some of you find yourself at that intersection right now where you're like, oh, Gosh, gosh, what do I do, right? Do I, do I identify with like Christ in me? And, and, and there's that battle going on. You're like, oh, oh gosh, like this, this, this way, that's death. That way, that's destruction. This way is pain and hurt. I've been down that road many times before, right? That way is death. That way is life. I feel a pull this way, but I'm going towards life, right? And every time you make that right decision, what you're doing is you're identifying with Christ in you. That's what he's talking about there. Now, some of you would say, well, Pete, does that battle ever go away? And I would say, not, not completely, no. Now, there are old battles I used to have that aren't battles for me anymore. But most of them have been replaced by new battles, which in some way are harder, in some way are easier. 
Um, but I will say this, that the more you identify with Christ in you, you get to this place where when you pull up to the intersection, it's not this epic throwdown fight every single time over what's right and what's wrong. And that's the goal of spiritual formation. It is, is becoming increasingly more and more like the person that God created you to become, all right? Now, here's the first question I want you to ask yourself, all right? Maybe you could jot this down. I'm gonna invite everyone to honestly ask this question. What am I sowing right now that I am not going to wanna reap? What am I sowing right now in my life that I am not gonna wanna reap? As a parent, Am I sowing love? Am I sowing patience? Am I sowing discipline into my kids? Right? Um, In my dating life, am I sowing honor? Am I sowing sexual purity? How about about in my financial life? Am, Am I sowing generosity? In my friendships, am I sowing loyalty? In my speech, am I sowing truth? In my family, am I sowing compassion? See, this, this, is, this, is a, this is a huge question. What am I sowing right now that I'm not gonna wanna reap? Because at the end of the day, if you want to change what you're reaping, you always have to change what you're sowing. Another way to put this is if you don't like tomatoes, Stop planting tomato seeds, all right? That's the way that it works. All right, check out verse nine. It's the last verse. Verse nine, he says this, let's not become weary in doing good. For at a proper time, you'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. So here's the second question I want you to ask yourself, and that's just this. Where am I weary of doing good? Where am I weary of doing good. Because some of you are tired, aren't you? Some of you are weary. You ever get weary as a parent? It's like, I'm tired of doing the right thing as a parent. Like, I know that we should be consistently disciplining our kids, but it is so much work. I'm so tired of it. I just, like, want to give up, like, whatever. I'm tired of sowing patience into my kids. Like I'm, I'm tired of, they don't appreciate me. They, they, they take advantage of me. Like, I, I'm just tired. I'm tired of doing the right thing as a parent. You ever go weary of doing what's right in your marriage? Sure. Some of you are tired of being faithful. Some of you are just tired of showing unconditional love and forgiveness. You're like, I'm tired of it, Pete. I'm weary of doing good in my marriage because I feel like I give and I give and I give and I get nothing back in return. I'm just done with it. I'm, I'm tired of doing the right thing. Some of you are weary of serving in the church. You're like, I know it's the right thing to use my gifts and my abilities in this way, but I'm just tired. I, I don't feel like anybody notices me or really appreciates me. I don't even know if I really make a difference. I know it's the right thing to do, but I, I'm, just, I'm just weary. The Bible says, hey, don't grow weary. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't quit. Why? Because you're gonna reap what you sow. Don't grow weary of doing good. Keep doing good. Keep sowing those seeds. Why? Because you're gonna reap a harvest if you don't give up. Now, one last question. You don't have to write this one down. This is really just kind of a generic question for all of us. And I wanna wrap up with this. 
But I think it's an important question, and that is this. Is there ever an exception to this idea that you reap what you sow? Is there ever an exception to this universal law of consequences? Is there ever a moment where this doesn't apply to us? And this may sound strange to you, and it may sound like I'm completely contradicting the whole message, but the answer to that is actually yes. There's a moment when the law of consequences, when this idea that you reap what you sow has been suspended. And it's found in scripture. It's Romans chapter six. It's verse 23. And it says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me tell you, that is a verse that's worth celebrating. That is a verse that changes everything because the reality for every one of us is that we fall short of the glory of God. Right, the reality is that throughout our life, we sow sin. Right? Every, every little white lie, every time you were less than loving to that five-year-old, right? every time you promised you'd do something and you didn't, right? A- a- every little moment of sin that you sow throughout your life, what you should reap for that, according to Romans 6, is death separation from God, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, the reality is no matter how many times you pull up to that intersection and you make the correct turn, there are going to be moments in your life where you take the wrong turn, where you do the wrong thing. And so God in his infinite wisdom has sent his son Jesus to this earth to live a life that you and I could not live, to pay a price that we couldn't pay because he lived a perfect life. So he goes to the cross and on the cross, he dies a death that we could never die. They call it the substitutionary death because what happens on the cross when Jesus dies that death is he ultimately reaps what every one of us sowed and he takes our sin upon him. He reaps what we sowed so that we could have eternal life With him, he intervenes and he gives us a righteousness that you could never get on your own. He's reaping what you sowed. Now, this is important because I want to make sure that you understand the heart of our God. Because it's tempting sometimes when you read a verse like the one that we did today that says, Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Um, It's tempting to um, kind of picture this God who's looking forward to watching you screw up. Uh, you know, one, one of the things that's interesting to me as a pastor is um, I, I've learned that everybody kind of has in their own mind an image of God. And so when you and I read a verse, even though we may be reading the same verse, we hear a different voice in our head. The voice of God that we hear in our head can be quite different. Because some of you might even have a very unbiblical view of God. For some of you, when you think of God, what you view is this cosmic cop who's just waiting for you to screw up. And as soon as you screw up, I mean, he's going to be there to catch you, right? So when you read a verse like, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked, a man reaps what he sows. What you hear is this God who is so excited to be there when you screw up so that he can finally give you what you deserve. So you have a lot of fear in your life. You don't really trust God that much. You just feel like he's kind of after you. But I want you to know 
That's not the heart of our God. And when God says, hey, don't be deceived, I can't be mocked. Ultimately, you're going you're, you're gonna, to you're gonna reap what you sow. It, it's not this gotcha kind of moment. It's coming from a heavenly father who's saying, please, 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 I don't want to see you go down that road again. Um, my wife, Brandy, and I, we have three boys. Their names are Jet, Gage, and Brewer. Uh, I brought a picture uh, to show you so you can get kind of a, an idea of them. Don't, don't let them fool you. Uh, don't let them fool you. They look really, really sweet. But uh, they, no, they are. They are very sweet. Uh, but they could be a handful. Uh, on the right there in the pink shirt, that's Brewer. He's my youngest son. And that kid, he is something else. We were planning on having five. Uh, then we had Brewer. And... Uh, <laughs> We decided not to press our luck anymore. But uh, he is, this kid is, I mean, he is, he's flat out wild. There are times like I, I watch him and I'm like, I, I kind of understand why some species of animals eat their young, all right? <laughs> um, but the kid just like, and because he's the youngest, some of you guys know this, like, we, 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 we just treat him different than the other kids. So we kind of baby him, right? And so we've kind of created our own little monster here, here with him. And, and we, we'll reap what we sow one day. We'll have a very spoiled 18-year-old boy. But he, he's the youngest, so we just kind of baby him. And uh, recently I was putting him down at bedtime. And, uh, you know, even like at bedtime, I'll spend more time with him, just kind of telling him stories and stuff. And so he's laying in bed. And uh, I'm telling him the story. I'm just kind of rubbing his head, you know. And uh, it doesn't take long in the midst of my story. And he's kind of, you know, starting to, to fall asleep. I, I have that gift when I tell stories. So um, he, he's going to sleep. And I just kind of watch his eyes kind of roll back. And, and he's out. And uh, I don't, like, I don't always do this. But I'm just, I just sit there for a minute, right? I'm just kind of rubbing his head. I'm just kind of watching him sleep. And if, if you don't have kids, that sounds really creeper-like that you would sit there and watch your kids sleep. But if you have kids, you understand you have to do that every once in a while just to remind yourself that you still love these kids, right? Because they are, they're so sweet when they're asleep. They really are. They're just adorable. And so um, I'm just sitting there and I'm kind of watching them sleep. And I just felt prompted like to pray for him, right? So I'm just right there. I've got my hand on his head and I just start to pray for him. And it was, I don't know, I wasn't expecting this moment. It kind of caught me off guard. But I'm praying for him, and it's really emotional because I'm watching him, and he's just, you know, he's asleep. He looks so peaceful. And I'm like, you know what? Like, this kid right now, he has no worries. He has no anxiety. Like, there, there's no stress in this kid's life. Um, but I'm praying for him, and I'm thinking, you know what? There's going to be a day, unfortunately, uh, coming sooner than I want to admit where he's going to face some of the same intersections that I've faced in my life. And I'll be honest, I've blown it a few times. I've blown it more than a few times where I've made some decisions that I so regret that brought a lot of pain, a lot of hurt into my life and to the people around me. And I was just thinking, you know what? There's going to be a day that he's facing some of those same difficult, tempting intersections that I've faced. And as much as I want to believe as his father that he is always going to make the right decision, the reality is he's not. In fact, he will probably take some turns at some of those intersections that are going to break my heart. 
He'll probably take some turns that will drive me to my knees and I will be praying and begging for God's mercy on his life, just like my parents did for me, right? I, I, I know that that's more than likely gonna happen. But you know what? No matter how many wrong turns that kid makes, no matter how wrong the turn is that he makes, He's still my son. He will always be my son. Now make no mistake about it. I want more for him. I really do. I don't have like a lot of grandiose dreams for my kids, but like I I think about Brewer. I, I want him to one day love his wife more than I've been able to love my wife. I want him to love his kids more than I've been able to love him and his brothers. I want him to be more madly in love with Jesus than I am with Jesus today. I want that for him, but if for some reason he doesn't want that, for some reason he gets to the intersection and he turns away from that, he's still my son. Nothing could ever change that. And maybe the reason you're here today is because you just need to be reminded you are still God's son. You are still God's daughter. There's nothing that you could ever do to make him love you any more or any less than he does in this very moment. But at the same time, trust me when I say this, he wants more for you. And he knows that you're gonna find yourself at those intersections where you're struggling and you don't know, do I identify with, with, with God's spirit in me? Do I identify with my old flesh? He knows in those moments that there's a lot at stake, that there's a lot of potential pain and there's a lot of potential heartache. So he says, don't be deceived. If you go down that way, you're, you're gonna bring a lot of pain into your life here on this earth. Ultimately, I have sent my son to the cross. Ultimately, I've suspended the law of consequences. If you put your, your faith and your trust in me, but you're still gonna bring a lot of pain to your life here on this earth. But what you need to hear is you're still God's son. You're still his daughter. Would you guys bow your head and close your eyes for, for just a second? We had just a second and... I'd love for us to have just, just a moment like where, where we could just just talk to God. Like, I, I know you guys are busy. I know you got a lot of things going on. I'm sure it's a beautiful day. You're off to do a million things. But before we get there, we've got just a minute. Could we just have a moment with God just to kind of center our hearts and our minds? Because I think there's a lot at stake in this moment. I really do. I think there's some of you who kind of stumbled into this church today who are in a lot of pain because somewhere along the way you convinced yourself that the law of consequences was not going to apply to you. You convinced yourself that you weren't gonna reap what you sow. And right now your life has been turned upside down and it's a mess. And you're just reeling in pain. Some of you kind of stumbled in here today and you're at one of those intersections And right now, you feel that temptation. It is so strong. And you just go back and forth 
Some of you have already given in to that temptation. You've headed down that road. And I want you to know that no matter how far down that road you've gone, you never go too far to be able to just drive a stake in the ground right now, today. Maybe this is your moment and say, no more, I'm done. This is not helping me become the man or the woman that God created me to become. This is not the way that I wanna go. This is not gonna get me to where I want to be. I'm gonna make a U-turn and I'm headed right back to a heavenly father who has his arms wide open for me. Maybe that's you. But what are you sowing right now that you don't wanna reap? Where is it right now that you are just weary of doing good? God, our prayer today is that we will identify with the strength of your spirit inside of us. Our prayer today is that we will connect the dots, so we will understand that, yes, on this earth, we do reap what we sow. God, I pray that you'll give us the strength to not grow weary in doing what is good and doing what is right, that we will continue to move forward And ultimately, God, what I pray is today we will be reminded of your grace. We'll be reminded of a good God who at the end of the day suspends the law of consequences for those of us who put our faith and our trust in your son, Jesus Christ, and what he did on the cross. That we can rest assured that we are your sons, that we are your daughters, that there's nothing we could ever, ever do to make you love us any more or any less than you do in this very moment. God, thank you for your amazing grace. God, give us the strength to continue to move forward, to become the people that you are creating us to become. Thank you, God, for this incredible church, for this amazing community, for it's in your holy and your precious name that we pray, amen. Hey, before you guys uh, leave, uh, can you do me one favor? Uh, There's a program that you were handed on your way in. It looks just like this. All the way to the right of that is this thing called a connection card. You can just rip that rip that uh, right off there. I always get so afraid, like I'm going to rip it and the whole thing is going to just tear in half, but it didn't. It works. Okay. So just tear that off and just do us a favor. Just fill that out. All right. There's a place for some information. There's a place for prayer requests. There's a place for you to get connected. Maybe you want to serve here. Uh, But at the very bottom, this is so important. There's this place that says, today I prayed to receive Jesus Christ in my life for the first time. If you're here today, And maybe you made a decision to say, yes, I want to trust in Jesus. I want what he did on the cross to be applied to my life. I want that. If that's you, would you mark that? There's some boxes on the way out. You can just kind of drop that card in. It it would just mean the world to us. Nobody's going to show up at your door from the church tomorrow or anything like that. All right. But I mean, if they do, like I'm in Tennessee, so you can't come after me, but they, but they won't. They won't. They're not going to show up. They will send you some information, though, just about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What, you know, how to help you take whatever next steps it is that you might need to take. But, hey, thank you guys. You're awesome. Thanks for being here today. Come back next week, all right? Have a good week.